Good to go? Great. Let's pray once more as we come through from God's holy word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, meeting with us as we sang your praise. Lord God, I pray again, would you continue to speak to us, Lord God? Would, would my words be from you and of you and glorifying to you? And would all our thoughts be pleasing in your sight, Lord God? Direct our hearts and minds to love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more as we read from Matthew chapter 2 and as we hear the word preached. Come, Holy Spirit, move in power, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the run-up to Christmas, we've been reading Matthew's Gospel, we've been reading Matthew's version of the Christmas story, and uh, in week one we read an extraordinary genealogy. We read the the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and we we saw that Jesus Christ is the son of David, uh, the one who would reign forever on David's throne, and we saw that Jesus was the son of Abraham, the one through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. Uh, We also saw how God's heart was was to raise people up, those who were hurting and and, and seemed like outsiders, God blessed them by including them in Jesus' genealogy. That was week one. And then last week, we read about the extraordinary birth of Jesus Christ. And we saw how Jesus was born of a virgin and all that that means for us, even here in 2019. Well, this week, we're going to read about Jesus' extraordinary visitors. He had an extraordinary genealogy. He had an extraordinary birth. And then in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus, the the newborn baby, has some extraordinary visitors. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 12, and it should be on the screen behind me um, if you don't have a Bible with you. But yeah, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So you've probably heard or read this story many, many times. You've seen this story played out 
um, in nativity plays. You've maybe even played one of the characters. Um, you know, one of one of my goals over coffee after after the service is to find out what characters you played in the nativity. I'm sure we'll have all sorts. Um, I, I happen to have played a wise man in the nativity. There'll be some people who who played like unicorns and things like that. Um, the, the the famous characters from all the nativity plays. Um, there'll be some people who've been Mary and Mary and Joseph, and some people who've been shepherd, and some people who've been sheep, and angels, and all, all sorts. Many, many of us will have been in nativity plays and, and seen this part of the story in a nativity play. But I wonder how often you've studied the biblical text that I've just read. I wonder how often you've really considered what does this story mean? What difference does it make? To my life. It's kind of one of those stories that you're really familiar with, but I wonder if I asked you what difference does this story make to your life this morning, whether you'd be able to answer that question, because it is one of those stories that actually sometimes you don't stop and consider. You enjoy the story, but you don't think about what difference it makes. And I really believe this is a very, very challenging story. This is a very, very challenging part of the Bible, and I hope this morning when we leave, we will be, we will know the challenge of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. That's my goal. So the, the story begins with the Magi who've come from the east and they enter Jerusalem and they're asking this question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And that's our first point this morning. Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews. I wonder whether you noticed in the passage that Jesus is given four titles in Matthew chapter 2. In verse 2, he's called the King of the Jews. In verse 4, Herod calls him the Christ. And then in that that quotation from the book of Micah, um, Jesus is called ruler and shepherd. So he's called King of the Jews. Jesus is called the Christ. Did you see Herod asked the chief priests where the Christ is to be born? And if you don't know, um, Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. And Messiah means anointed one. And so the Jews reading the Old Testament believed in one who was to be born who would be an anointed one, anointed by God to be king over an everlasting kingdom. And we learnt a little bit about that when we talked about Jesus being the son of David. Then in verse 6, the Jewish scribes quote the prophecy from the book of Micah, which was written in 700 BC, 700 years before this moment. And as I mentioned, um, Jesus in that passage is called ruler and shepherd. This is what Micah says, from Bethlehem will come a ruler who will shepherd God's people, Israel. And so in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus introduces the king of the Jews, he's introduced as the Christ, and he's introduced as a ruler and a shepherd. Specifically over Israel, he's, he's, introduced, he's the person who will shepherd God's people Israel. But as we'll see in a moment, Jesus' kingdom is expanded in the gospel, so it's not just the kingdom of Israel, but it includes everyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to focus on those two, actually, in Micah's prophecy, that Jesus is called ruler and shepherd. I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus your ruler? Do you think of Jesus as a ruler? When Jesus gives you a command, you obey. When Jesus says go, 
you go. I wonder whether that's, that's, that would be part of your relationship with Jesus Christ, that he is the ruler and your ruler. I, I've got a new book of, um, well, it's a very old book, actually. It's a book of Puritan prayers, but it's new because I've just, I've just received it. And um, some of the prayers in this book are, are wonderful. I will definitely be using it on some of our Sundays and reading some of these very old, deep, meaningful prayers that Puritans prayed. But one I read yesterday says, the first line of the prayer says, Lord God, may I always be subordinate to you. That's the first line of the prayer. God, may I always be subordinate to you. That is how a Christian should think and pray. We should recognise that Jesus Christ is our ruler and our king, and so we should pray prayers like, Lord God, may I, Lord Jesus, may I always be subordinate to you. I wonder whether you've ever prayed a prayer like that. If not, why not in your heart right now, just pray, King Jesus, I recognise that you are the king, may I always be subordinate to you. May I always submit to you. May I always obey you, for you are my ruler. You are my king. Just pray it now in your heart as I'm speaking. When I picture a ruler, I think of a king sat on a throne, pointing and directing and giving commands. And although that is a helpful picture to think about Jesus' authority, Jesus is the king, he's introduced as the king very, very clearly in Matthew chapter 2, although that, that is a helpful picture that speaks of Jesus' authority, it doesn't capture Jesus' compassion and his humility. And so Micah uses two words to describe Jesus' authority. He calls Jesus the ruler, but he also describes Jesus as a shepherd. Jesus is described as a shepherd in that prophecy in Micah. He's not stuck in the throne room, removed from his people. He's out in the field, getting his hands dirty. He's not shouting orders at nameless and faceless citizens. He knows every sheep by name. Like a shepherd, Jesus Christ, the ruler over all, also protects and cares for all his sheep. He washes them, he feeds them, he guides them into, into new pastures, into, into where there's fresh grass, he, he guides them like a shepherd. And that's why it's not a hard thing to pray, may I always be subordinate to you, King Jesus. That's not a hard prayer to pray, because we know that Jesus is not only ruler, he is also our loving, caring, compassionate and humble shepherd. And so when we pray, Lord, may I always be subordinate to you, we're praying, Lord, I want to submit to you, but I know that you are a good king, that you are a good shepherd, that you care for me, that you want what's best for me. So to submit to you is a glorious thing is a wonderful thing to bow before Jesus and say, your will be done. What, when you say go, Lord Jesus, I will go because I know you're taking me into good places. When you, when you give me a command, I will obey King Jesus because I know you're a good shepherd and you care for me and you want what's best for me. And one day you will present me blameless in the heavenlies before the Father in glory. It's a joyous thing to pray these kind of prayers. Lord God, may I always be subordinate to you. Because the ruler we submit to 
is also the shepherd who cares for each and every one of us. If you're a non-Christian here this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is king, that he reigns, that he rules over all. He was born a king in Matthew chapter 2, but I also want you to know that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he cares for you. And, And so Christianity makes a big ask. It says, submit to the king, but that is a joyful thing to ask because the king is so, so good. So Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the ruler and the shepherd of Israel. But not just Israel. Because this story is all about the Magi from the East. Jesus is the king over all Jews and Gentiles. The Magi in this story were not Jewish. And so the Magi enter Jerusalem saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And the reason they're asking that question is because they've seen a star. They say, for we saw his star when it rose. And now the star raises all kinds of questions for me. Like my, the scientific part of my brain is going, how did this star arise and where did it go? And in verse 9, it says the star goes before the Magi and then rests over the place where Jesus is. And my, the scientific part of my brain wants to know how that works. Like, was this a star that was just very close to Earth that really did kind of hover over the Earth and guide the Magi? Or was it some kind of constellation that pointed them to the place? I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to those questions. How did the Magi know it signalled the Messiah's birth? That's a big question that I've got. How did it rest over the place where Jesus was? Matthew doesn't answer those questions in this passage. But there's one thing that is really clear. There's one thing that is really clear. God has supernaturally orchestrated the cosmos. He has supernaturally orchestrated this star to appear so that the Magi would recognise the star and know the place to go and know what the star meant and then the star would guide them to the very place where Jesus was to be found, where Jesus had been born. Jesus has, sorry, God has supernaturally ordered the cosmos in order that these Gentile Magi, these non-Jewish people, would be at Jesus' birth, or would be there to worship the baby Jesus. I think it perhaps goes even deeper than that, because there's a fairly, there's a fairly popular and a fairly well-reasoned theory that the Magi are from Babylon. They're from the East, they're probably from Babylon. And if you know your Bibles well, you'll know that Daniel, who wrote a book of the Old Testament, Daniel, the prophet, the Jewish prophet, was appointed chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon in the Old Testament. That happens. So Daniel interprets the king's dream, and then he's interpreted, uh, sorry, then he's appointed in this role where he's in charge of all the wise men of Babylon, including the Magi. And so it's highly likely that it's Daniel who taught the Babylonian Magi the prophecies of the Old Testament and they somehow combined these prophecies in order that when the star arose, they said, Daniel told us about this king who would be born, the king of the Jews. And so it's Daniel's influence many hundreds of years before that has, has worked up to this moment when the Magi recognised the star in the sky. And there's one verse in Numbers, Numbers 24, verse 17, that says this, A star shall come out of Jacob, 
and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so the theory goes that, that Daniel taught this verse to the Magi and the, and the wise men of Babylon loved to write things down and hold on to wisdom and so they held on to this verse that there would be a star that would rise and in that, at that moment a scepter, i.e. a king, a king who would hold a scepter would rise out of Israel and so when they saw the star they realised that this was the moment when, Dan, the, when the prophecy in Numbers and when Daniel's words would truly be fulfilled and therefore they travelled from the east to Jerusalem to worship the king who would be born. And the the important point of all of this is that God has orchestrated this. God has made this happen. It It was him who placed Daniel in such an important role in Babylon all those years ago. And and it was him who influenced Daniel to give them these prophecies that that flowed through the ages. And, And it was God who put the star in the sky. And it was God who led the star so that it brought them to the place where Jesus was laid. It was God who wanted Gentiles to be at the birth of the king of the Jews. And so this very clearly teaches that Jesus is the king not just of Israel, but also of everyone everywhere. He is the king of the whole earth. Even Babylon, who were once enemies of the Jewish nation, have been invited to worship King Jesus. Now, having said that, perhaps the most important thing to see in this text is the difference between how the Jews respond to Jesus' birth and how the Gentiles respond to Jesus' birth. I, I mean, what would you expect? If I hadn't read you the passage, what would you expect? You would expect the Jews to be extremely excited that the Messiah had been born, to go and worship the king, to rush to the stable and worship the baby Jesus. You would expect it to the to be the Jews who would be going there to worship the baby. And you would probably think the Gentiles wouldn't be that fussed. I mean, the wise men come and say, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? That's a surprising question for a Gentile to ask, isn't it? I mean, why are they using that kind of language? And so there's a bit, there's a There's a difference between what we expect and what actually happens in this Christmas story. And so the big question I want to ask each of you this morning is, how will you respond to King Jesus? How will you respond to King Jesus? Now consider first King Herod and Jerusalem. And have a look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The the wise men come and say, the king of the Jews has been born. The Messiah is here. Salvation has come to Israel. The son of David who will reign forever has been born. Where can I go? Where can I find him? I want to worship him. And Herod says, oh, that's troubling. That's worrying. The, the king of the Jews has been born. What a, I mean, his reaction is almost, what a terrible thing to have happened. That's, that's how it comes across. Herod and all Jerusalem are troubled at the news the Magi bring. And the question is, why? Why was Herod so troubled at this news? Thank you, Andy. Yeah. The answer is because Jesus was a threat to Herod's power. In fact, Herod himself had been called King of the Jews before. It was a title that the Romans had given to Herod. Herod had been appointed this king over Judea, and he had kind of two roles. One was to keep the Romans happy, 
um, because they were his real boss. And the other was to keep the Jews happy so that they didn't uprise and cause issue to the Roman Empire, really. And so Herod was given this title by the Romans, and he was called the King of the Jews, the King of Judea. So you can imagine what's going on in Herod's mind and heart when he hears these words, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Oh dear, oh dear, a threat to my throne, a threat to my power. Herod knew he wasn't the true king of the Jews. He'd been given that title through an alliance with Israel's enemy, with Rome. And so Herod is faced with a humongous question in this passage. Could he give up his false right to rule and submit to the true king? Could he give up his false right to rule and submit to the true king? And if you know the story, you know the answer is no. You know the answer is no. Um, Instead, what Herod tries to do is, is kill all the babies of a certain age range in Bethlehem in order that the Messiah would die. He tries to murder the Messiah in the Christmas story. Could Herod give up his false right to rule and submit to the true king? The answer was no. You know what? The same question confronts each and every one of us this morning. The same question confronts each and every one of us this morning. Can you give up a false right to rule in your own life in order to submit to the true king. This is why so many people find Christianity troubling. This is one of the primary reasons why this room isn't packed full of hundreds of people from Pharaoh desperate to worship King Jesus. It's because Christianity says, will you give up the right to rule over your own life and instead submit to the true king, Jesus Christ? In our human nature, in our sinful nature, each of us want to rule over our own lives. You know, we we hear things like, if you want something, go and take it. We hear things like this, you're the captain of your own fate, you're the captain of your own soul. If you want to make millions of pounds, you can go out and do it. If you want to be a very successful um, sports person or, or musician or businessman, go out and take it. You're the captain of your own fate. You're the, you, you're the ruler over your own life. You can choose your own truth. You know, everyone can have their own different truth. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what's really true, just have your own truth. That's the sense of being your own ruler over your own life, saying, I've got my truth and it's true for me and I'm never going to change it because that's what's true for me and I'm going to do what I like with my life. If I want something, I will take it and I will go after it. Christianity says something completely different to that. The Bible says something completely different to that. God says something completely different to that. The Bible says there is one true king. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the king of the Jews and he's the king over all the earth. And if you want life to the full, if you want happiness, if you want everlasting life, then submit to and serve the true King Jesus Christ. If you're looking to life, if you're looking for life to the full, you will not find it being a ruler over your own life. If you're looking for true, deep, lasting happiness and joy, you will not find it being the ruler of your own life. If you're looking for everlasting life, you will not find that if you claim to be ruler over your own life. 
The only way to find those things is to submit to and serve the true King Jesus Christ. And so that... And so when you ask someone to become a Christian, and, and if you're not a Christian here this morning, that's really what I'm doing. I believe believing in Jesus Christ, having faith in Jesus Christ, is the very best thing for each and every person. I would long for each of us to believe in Jesus Christ. But, but I want to be clear to you, you will get all sorts of benefits from that decision to trust in Christ. You'll be blessed with forgiveness and everlasting life. And you will have a relationship with God. You'll be full of the Holy Spirit. You will know love, joy and peace in greater measure than you've ever known them before. But... I'm asking you to submit to somebody else and to say somebody else is ruler in my life. I'm not my own king, but I serve the true king, Jesus Christ. Even those of us who are Christians face that same battle on a daily basis. On a Sunday morning, I know King Jesus wills it that I prioritise fellowship and family by being with my church but I don't feel like it this morning. Shall I submit and obey my King Jesus Christ? Or should I make my own rules? I know it's the King's will that I share the good news with unbelievers. But that's really hard and I'm really embarrassed and I don't want to do it. Shall I, shall I serve my King Jesus and submit to him? Or shall I be my own boss today? My King Jesus has given me the Bible. He's given me his word and he's called me to pray. But you know what? Today I'd rather binge watch a TV programme. Will I be captain? Will I be in charge of my own time? Or will I submit to King Jesus Christ? Each of you know you have your own battles, you have your things that Jesus has called you to do and you have to, you have to answer this question for yourself. Will I obey King Jesus because he's the true king and he's the good shepherd and what he commands me to do is actually better for me than what I want to do with my time? Or will I choose to be my own king today? Here's the truth. Jesus is the good shepherd. His commands are given for our good. In obedience to Christ, there is fullness of joy. You know, when, when Herod rejected Jesus and tried to cling to power, what was he choosing? He was choosing to be king over Judea, a small kingdom for a short period of time, and he, and he didn't really have that much power ultimately, because if the Romans came along and said, actually, you can't be king anymore, he, he wouldn't have any choice. He'd have to be going, okay, I'll have to step down then, or he would die. So in reality, Herod, King Herod had very small amounts of power as, as king of Judea. He had a very small kingdom, and he, and he chose that. He chose that over entering into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ where there is love and joy and peace and righteousness and justice and it, would, and it goes on for eternity and forever and ever. He chose this tiny little kingdom of Judea over the glorious, humongous, massive kingdom of God. And I tell you, every time we make a decision where we, we say, actually, I'm not going to obey God's commands today, I'm going to make my own decisions today, we're doing the very same thing. We're choosing the lesser glory when God is offering us greater glory, the most glorious things we can possibly choose. Don't be like Herod, who was troubled when he heard that Jesus had been born, who chose his small, little, petty kingdom. He chose to cling to his own power rather than submit to the king. Rather, choose Jesus. Choose life to the full. 
choose obedience to the good king, our ruler and shepherd. Don't be like Herod, but do be like the Gentile magi in this passage. Because these magi are extraordinary examples of faith, aren't they? If you stop and think about how much faith these guys had, it is amazing and should challenge us. They had been on a long journey from the east. They'd seen a star and they had so much faith, they're like, we're going to go on a journey. We've got to see this baby who has been born. That is tremendous faith in God. Submission to Jesus often involves leaving what's comfortable and setting out on a journey. Are you prepared to leave what's comfortable in order to go on the journey that God is calling you to, to worship Jesus Christ? It says in verse 10, they were filled with joy. Actually, I love verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They didn't just rejoice, they rejoiced exceedingly. And they didn't just rejoice exceedingly, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's how much joy they are having. These magi were absolute, like they must have been jumping and leaping. And I mean, they didn't need the camels because they were full of energy. There was so much joy for the star coming over the place where Jesus was born. They just longed to go and worship him there. (coughs) Faith-filled Christians... And those who submit to Christ are filled with joy. Now that's where, that's where Christianity, being a Christian, just becomes amazing. When you can serve and obey the commands of Jesus and do it, it filled with joy. Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. I, I know that that is, that, that is um, really attractive to non-Christians. If we can build a church here where everyone serves the king and they do it full of joy, you know, we're serving, we're working hard, we're making sacrifices for the kingdom of God, but we're filled with exceeding joy, people will start to notice that and they will want a piece of it. Because the people in this world, don't, don't, they serve themselves, they're their own king, and yet they don't have that joy. And so if they see a people who are serving the true king and doing it with great joy, we will, we will start to influence people and see people come into the church. It, of course, it's God who saves, it's the Holy Spirit who brings people into the church. But can we be Christ-like Christians, magi-like Christians, in the sense that we are serving and making sacrifices and doing it with the exceeding joy described in verse 10? Then in verse 11, they fell down and worshipped Jesus. In the Magi, in verse 2, announce their intention. They say to Herod, where is the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And they followed through with their words. When they saw the baby Jesus, they fell down before him and gave Jesus the praise and adoration Jesus is worthy of. When we submit to Jesus the king, Yes, that involves obeying his commands. It also just obey, it just involves praising and adoring Jesus. I loved our time of sung worship this morning where we were just praising and adoring Jesus Christ. It was wonderful. That's what, that's what being a servant of the king is like. And finally, these magi in verse 11, they offered Jesus expensive gifts, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I tell you this, obedience to Jesus the king means giving him your best. Those gifts were expensive gifts that they were laying before Jesus. Obedience to Jesus means giving him your best. And so I say to you this morning, can you give Jesus your money? Can you use your house to worship Jesus? Can you give Jesus your family? What gifts have you been given that you can use and say, Jesus, I give these things to you? 
if you own a house, a wonderful, amazing blessing, in, certainly in this, in this culture, to own a house, you should be saying, this is a gift that God has given to me. Jesus Christ, you're my king. I want you to use this for your glory. I give this house to you. May this be a place where people hear the gospel. May this be a place where people come and enjoy fellowship and joy. And this house is yours, King Jesus. And we, we can actually say that with every penny that we earn as well. I'm not saying we should give all our money to the church. That's not what I'm saying. But every penny that we earn in wages, we can say is a gift from God. And so we can try and use it in a way that glorifies and honours Jesus. I mean, what, how would our spending change if we said every penny that we receive, this is a gift from God, Lord Jesus, this is yours. I'm going to use it for your glory. What would that look like in our life if every penny that we spent would be spent in glory to Jesus Christ? We all have gifts, every single one of us, that we can use to worship King Jesus. And I pray this morning each of us would lay down those gifts, give them to Jesus the King, and say, my gifts are your gifts, Jesus. I want to serve you because you are the King of all. So this morning, let us rejoice. Let us know that Jesus is King. He's the King of the Jews, and he's the King over the Gentiles. He is ruler, and he is shepherd. So do not cling to your own crown like Herod did, but willingly come and worship and praise the true King Jesus Christ. What does obedience look like for you? What power are you clinging to that Jesus wants you to lay down? What gifts can you offer to Jesus Christ in worship? Will you always be subordinate to the King of the Jews and the King of the universe? Think about these things and respond to these things. For Jesus is our good king. He's the good shepherd who loves us. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you're one of his sheep, and he wants what's best for you. And he wants to guide you, by, by, he wants to guide you into, into green fields where there's plenty of grass. He wants to do you good, because he is the good shepherd. Would you follow him? Would you obey him as ruler and king as well? Jesus is our good king, who we love, adore, and worship. Let's stand. I'm going to invite the band back up. I'm going to lead us in prayer in response um, to what we've read.